0: Father God, we thank you for this day. Again, uh, we thank you for a chance to open your word. Father, we ask that as we um, come to your word, um, God, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, uh, open our minds to to understand it rightly. God, that we would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would shine a light on this text, that you would shine a light on our understanding Father, through the Spirit who, who knows our minds and hearts perfectly, who knows your mind and hearts perfectly, God, that we would understand these things perfectly, um, that we would understand them in a way that applies to our daily lives, that we can take the principles that we find here uh, and live in a faithful way uh, in light of them. God, we thank you for all the many blessings um, that you pour out on us each week. Father we continue to pray for our community as as this Sunday the gospel was preached all over uh Blount County. Um we pray for every church uh that lifted up um the goodness uh and the gracious message of of the gospel today. We ask that you would bless our community that you would bring a revival, God, that as we um, even though things have maybe calmed down in in some ways uh, through all the issues that we've dealt with over the last year and a half Um, God, we still know that there are lots of divisions. Um, we ask that you would bring uh faith and unity, God, that you would bring kindness um into our community. Um, God, most importantly, that you would bring the message of the gospel, that people would hear the good news of Jesus Christ, um, that their hearts would be awakened to those things. God, that you would bring people to a knowledge of your Son, that they would enter into relationship with him by faith, and and God, that they would live um changed lives. Uh, because of who he is. Father, we thank you. Uh, we praise you. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, let me, um, if you got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 12 if you're not already there. So what we're going to do today, I'm not going to have a whole bunch of introduction. We're just going to jump right into it um, because because I've got a long way to go and a short time to get there as I often say. Um, here's the question. Why is money such a big deal to God? Because it seems to be a pretty big deal to God when we look through the scriptures. The Bible takes a talks a significant amount about money, about possessions. And we can get the wrong impression if we only read this passage out of context somehow. We can get the impression that maybe Jesus is unconcerned with money at the beginning of the passage. Because notice what happens is this incident that happens, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Okay, so this this dispute over an inheritance, as there often are disputes over inheritances, it seems like Jesus did not want to be in the middle of it. And we might misunderstand that to imply that he doesn't care about these things and that's not why he came. But the real reason I think is the case is that why Jesus doesn't want to be involved is because this man is not actually looking for an arbiter. He's looking for an advocate in this situation, right? He doesn't want somebody to actually, uh, you know, litigate this thing. He wants somebody to be on his side and to make his brother do what he wants him to do. And so Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with that side of it. But Jesus has a lot to say about money. He has a lot to say here about money and any number of parables and encounters that we see throughout the Gospels. um, Jesus deals specifically with the issues of money and wealth and how we use those things. So think about it. Go through, you know, the story of Zacchaeus touches on those issues. The rich young ruler, the generous widow, the rich fool. There are any number of stories that we could go to, any number of parables, all dealing with money and how we use it. Now, it it may seem obvious, but I think it's important to start with this question. Why does God care about how we spend our money? Why does God care about that? Many people would probably say, man, how I spend my money is, is my own business. Well, in this story of, of the generous widow, if you remember, not this story, but but in another place of Scripture, Jesus, it says specifically positions himself in the temple so that he can watch how these people are giving. You remember, so he's in a position where he can see that people are pouring big m- amounts of money into the to the coffers or or the the generous widow who gives the two small mites, the copper coins. And so Jesus specifically pays attention to how these people are giving. Um, He's doing that still. Uh, Jesus cares about how we give. He cares about how we use our finances. He cares about um, all those issues and how they relate to our lives. And here's the reason why. Because, and and this probably goes without saying, but but we're going to say it anyway. Because money is often an indicator of the things that are truly important to us. If you think about it, there's, there's basically three currencies in the world. There's money, there's time, and there's energy. Everything we do costs us at least one of those three things. All of them are, all of them are things that we spend on things that we care about. And in the case of time, it's even something that we never get back ever again. And so the reality is, is that money reveals our hearts. It reveals our values. it reveals what we hold as important and worthy. And moreover, as a result, it's often a very sensitive issue. People don't want to be told how to spend their money, what to do with their money. It seems very private to them. Um, and so you can step on a lot of toes in, in a message like this. Like, I don't like talking about money. Um, I, I, I kind of hate money. Like I'm, I'm really looking forward to that new heaven and new earth kind of Garden of Eden situation where we're just. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be like that. Maybe we're not just going to be walking around picking fruit off trees, okay? But, but what, however, it ends up being, like I, I don't like having to to ask those questions. Christy handles all the money uh in our house. She's the one that does the finances because I don't like it. I just don't want to think about it. I, I don't like that stuff. But we come to this passage as we work through the Gospel of Luke. Um, We've come to this passage that's dealing with it. Honestly, I was going to do, we were going to jump into our Psalm series next week um, because we are into the month of July, like we've done, but I think I'm going to do one more message on Luke to kind of close out chapter 12, because there's another section that is tied to this one. And I feel like it'd be weird to just like take a break and then come back to it two or three months down the line because it's dealing with this same issue. It's very connected to it. So we're going to do that one more week next week, but people are sensitive about it, right? Um, very quickly we feel like we have a right to our money and how it is used. We're entitled to it somehow. And so what I want to do is start by asking a question at the beginning and kind of giving a definition of, of this idea of what we would call materialism. And let me see. Let me show you why I think it kind of opens this up for us. Look at verse 15. So he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. So we've defined covetousness in the past um covetousness is not only always wanting more but it's typically tied with not being thankful for what you have okay so a combination of those things but then he says this for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions all right that's a very philosophical sounding kind of proverb that one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions it feels like something that you would find in a fortune cookie or something right um very proverbial, very philosophical kind of. And so I think it it opens up an opportunity for us to talk about this concept of materialism in in, in the passage. So materialism defined, we use that word in two different ways. We use the word materialism in two different ways. We use it in a philosophical way. We use it sort of a daily kind of cultural way. In the philosophical sense, the doctrine of materialism is that nothing exists except matter, and the only things that are important is sort of its movements and modifications and how the world. So sometimes we'll talk about philosophical materialism or philosophical naturalism, the idea that basically everything in the universe is just stuff. It's matter and energy, um, and and that's all there is, and that's therefore it's all that's important. Okay, but then obviously we use the term materialism in in another way too. We talk about the tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as the most important things in life rather than other spiritual or, or emotional or or mental kind of values. Okay. Now here's one thing that I want you to notice. Those two things flow out of each other. A philosophical materialism flows into a, a daily life kind of materialism. As we have dogmatized a materialistic view of the universe, where there is no God, there is no soul, there is no spiritual side to the universe. With it, we're just, you know, meat computers. We are evolved animals. That's all we are. Well, then, as we do that, that increases our tendency to put all the eggs in the basket of this philosophical material view of the world. And as a result of that, to put all of our eggs in the basket of then, what's the real meaning? Well, it's about pleasure. It's about comfort. Um, it's about making. These fifty or sixty or eighty years of life as easy as possible. Okay, so you hear people talk about um, in the culture all the time about issues like this. Politicians or or social theorists, people like that, will look back and they'll say, you know, it used to be we weren't so materialistic. It used to be that that people sat on their front porches and and they knew their neighbors and they had family dinners and they cared about their community. And we need to get back to those things. But here's the deal, it doesn't just change that easily. I'm suggesting that our materialism in our lives is, is is being doubled down on by the materialism in our philosophy, okay, in the world. And until we start going back to some of those things and dealing with them, then we're gonna have a hard time changing our view of the world. But at the same time, that's not to say that the reason why we are materialist now is only because of that, because the reality is this, we've been materialists since day one. From the Garden of Eden, we have been functionally materialists because in the Garden of Eden, we said, I care more about the things that God has given me than I do about pleasing God himself. And so what materialism has done to us is, uh, imagine you work in an outdoor store. And what materialism has done is you have started taking the Yeti cooler price tags and putting them on the Coleman coolers. Uh, you have started taking the Patagonia price tags and you have started putting them on the Columbia fleeces or whatever, right? We are putting the wrong price tags on the wrong things is what has happened. Okay. That's what materialism does to Don't, don't at me. Okay. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, Columbia and, and kind of guy, Coleman kind of guy. I don't, I don't have all the fancy stuff. It's fine. Okay. Um, but that's what we've done, right? We've taken the things that are of less value and we've assigned ultimate value to them. We've taken the things that have ultimate value and we've said that they are unimportant in our daily lives relatively. So from a Christian perspective, what we believe not just our statement of doctrine or whatever, but our boots-on-the-ground belief, like matters of our daily lives and how we spend our time, energy, and money, oftentimes don't line up with what the scriptures would tell us to do. Typically what happens with materialism is, whereas we're supposed to love people and use things, we end up loving things and using people. So again, it's not new It's not something that's only appeared recently. Again, if you listen to people in the culture, sometimes they'll be like, oh, it's the Industrial Revolution. It's capitalism. These are the things that have ruined, you know, humanity in some way and made us all materialists. No, those things just made it to where more people could be materialists. There have always been materialists around. Louis Fourteenth and the Palace at Versailles, right? We just talked about the, the Reformation back in, in, in our book study back in, in October. Pope Leo X, building St. Peter's Basilica, making it this incredibly opulent place that he had to basically go into debt to build. It's part of the reason why Luther was mad and, and, and the Reformation happened. Why? Because Leo was a materialist, right? He thought that what was most insignificant was to have this opulent building that he would be remembered for. You go all the way back to King Tut. I was I was super interested in Egyptian stuff when I was a little kid, right? Like I loved all that stuff, right? And King Tut was what? You probably know the story. He was buried with all of this stuff because in the Egyptian culture, they had taken materialism to a spiritual level. They had said, you know, we say you can't take it with you. The Egyptians said you could take it with you. Uh, King Tut was buried with all this stuff so that he could go to the next life with all his rich, awesome, cool stuff. You know who the richest man to ever live was? It's not um, somebody from like, it's not Gates. It's not Bezos. Even when you adjust for inflation, and all those things, it's not some Arab oil baron or whatever. You know who it is? Jacob Fugger. You know who Jacob Fugger is? Probably not. He ties back to the Reformation, though. The Fuggers were the imperial bankers in the pre-Reformation Europe. Uh, estimates are that Fugger's worth was about, his net worth was about $400 billion, which makes him the richest person who's ever lived, probably. Um, materialism's not new, right? It happened before the Reformation, it happened before capitalism, it happened before mercantilism, it happened at the beginning in Eden. And so Jesus shows us, though, that there, that's a problem, and that there are symptoms of materialism that play out in this rich man's life in this parable. And so we can learn from those symptoms. We can look at those symptoms and say, is this the way that I'm living my life as well? So look at verse 16. And he told them the parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, eat. Drink and be merry. So here's, I want you to see a few symptoms that are illustrated in this guy's life, okay? The the number, the first thing that we see is this, is is his wealth is purposeless, okay? The wealth that he has doesn't seem, it seems to be purposeless. And let, let me tell you what I mean by that. It says, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops, I got all this extra stuff that's all of a sudden come in out of nowhere. This bumper crop, what am I going to do with it? I'm not really prepared for it. I don't have a plan for these things. When that bumper crop comes in, he doesn't already have goals set up. He isn't already thinking to himself, what am I going to do with this wealth? How am I going to allocate these things? What is the grand purpose of me having all these things? No, his only answer is, I guess I'll just stockpile it. I guess I'll just take it into my barns. In fact, I'll build bigger barns so that I can stockpile even more of this stuff. To him, the crop is valuable in and of itself. But what I'm suggesting to you as, as Christians, resources are only valuable for what we can accomplish with them. Okay? Their only intrinsic value is in what they allow us to do. So one concern that we come to when you when you see this passage, and maybe you feel a tension there, is is we go is this passage saying that it's wrong to save money? Okay, is this passage saying that God thinks it's wasteful or or unfaithful to to save money? Is it wrong to perp- purposefully put away money for a future end? Is the guy in this story saving for the future, and God is basically saying, no, that's not what we should do. We're going to look at a passage next week that ties into some of these ideas. And, basically, and that's certainly a piece of the answer where God basically says, listen, I need you to trust that I'm going to provide for you in the future. Okay? You don't have to necessarily be completely responsible for your own future because I'm going to take care of you in the future. And so there's something to be said there. We're going to get into that a little bit next week. But the Bible is not against saving per se. Okay, um, we see examples and principles throughout scripture that affirm those ideas. Okay, just for, from, from a, a big picture kind of narrative, the, the story of Joseph, where he's saving up for years to provide for a coming time where there will be not enough. Okay, we all know that story. You go to the Proverbs and over and over again, so the, what do the Proverbs do? They teach us how to be wise over and over again. We see passages about saving and things like that. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without a leader or an administrator or a ruler, it prepares its provisions in the summer and it gathers its food during harvest. Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. The son who gathers during summer is prudent. The son who sleeps during the harvest is disgraceful. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools... Gulp theirs down, right? There's any number of places that we can look to and say there is a wisdom in, in saving. It's not wrong or unfaithful to save for important things, for, for home, for education, even for retirement. That's a wise way to live. But that doesn't, that doesn't seem to be this guy's situation is what I'm saying. His saving is not purposeful. It's just because it's there. There doesn't seem to be an appropriate goal to his saving. It's, the saving is an end in itself. And we have kind of an op name for that. We call it hoarding, which is not the same thing as saving. There is, if there's any kind of goal that this has, it's, it's for his own com- comfort, right? His own opulence in the future, which we'll address in just a minute. But it raises that question, the difference between saving and hoarding. Like what, how are we, how are we supposed to think about those two things? We've certainly seen it over the last year and a half, have we not? We all remember the toilet paper scare of 2020, right? And we know why that was happening. Why was the toilet paper scare happening? It was because people were hoarding it. It wasn't because there was an actual shortage. The supply chain was still working pretty well. It was a little down because of all the stuff, but it was still pretty much working. It was because people were buying six-month supplies of toilet paper that the system was messed up. Right around election time, some of that started happening again. People were like, now nah, I don't know if this country's gonna be here in like next week. You know, it was, it was a weird time. And so people started hoarding and saving up some of those things again. Recently, we've had this gas shortage and it happened again. People are rushing to the pumps and filling trash bags full of gasoline like bozos and like all kinds of crazy stuff, right? And that was what caused the problem. It was the hoarding that actually caused the shortage. We're basically like kids when that pinata busts, okay? And you just grab it. Like you're just trying to get your pile the biggest. You don't care if it's stuff you like or how you're gonna eat it or if it's gonna make you sick, you don't care. You just want as much stuff in your pile uh, as you can. Have you ever like seen, my kids have done this, or at least I've seen kids at my kids' pinatas. One kid's in front, piling it and like piling it between their legs and there's another kid behind them just digging it out of their pile and and bringing it in their own. Um, That's what we're talking about when we're talking about hoarding, okay? You're just piling up stuff. You don't even know what it's for or why you would want it. You're just keeping it because you feel like it has intrinsic value in itself. Being prepared is not a bad thing, but hoarding for its own sake actually ends up being part of the problem. And it causes others to go without. And that brings us to the next symptom of of materialism is self-interest. Notice the use of the word my in this passage. Did you pay attention to that when we were reading it? My crops, my barns, my grain, my good, my soul. The word my is conspicuous in that passage. There's this focus by this guy on his own ownership his own well-being, but there doesn't seem to be any particular concern for other people and how he might use these resources for their benefit as well. Philippians 2 tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than ourselves. But there's none of that in this guy. He doesn't seem to be even thinking in those terms. I've used this illustration before. I use it a lot because I think it's a great, it it, it clarifies the principle. So most of you guys know who Francis Chan is. Um, Probably many of you have read his book. That was sort of a national bestseller, Crazy Love, okay? So if you didn't know this, the Christian publishing world is not a money-making endeavor, okay, most of the time, right? Most Christian books, you don't make a lot of money off of. They pay a guy $10,000 to write it, and that's about all he'll ever get from it. The thing was, The Crazy Love was a huge hit, sold millions of copies or whatever. And so Francis Chan actually made a little bit of money off of it. One day he got a check in the mail for his royalties from the book for $250,000, okay, for one check. And, and he was kind of surprised by it because he was like, man, I've, I've I've written stuff before, but I've never made any real money off this thing. And so him and his wife were, were like, well, what are we going to do with this money? And the answer they came to is that they were going to give it all away. They were going to give the entire thing away to various ministry and charitable endeavors. And he said some people from his church came to him and said, hey, you can't do that. Don't you think you should put some of that money back for a rainy day? And he said this. He said, but right now it's somebody else's rainy day, right? Somebody else is having a rainy day right now that this money could serve and this money could help. Somebody right now is in need, and they're hurting, and I could do something about that. And so why is it that my rainy day, my hypothetical future rainy day, is more important than their actual current rainy day? And I think that's a neat way of thinking about it. It's the opposite of what's going on in this guy's life. Because I think what Chan was doing, and what this guy is not, is, is he's thinking of things in terms of stewardship as opposed to... In terms of ownership, he's thinking of how that money can be used and how he is responsible for it outside of the fact that he is the one who is, is, is the owner of it. An owner can do whatever he pleases, right? An owner can even waste his resources. He can throw them out the window, right? You have like the cartoony picture of a guy lighting a cigarette with a, with a hundred dollar bill or something like that. He can throw his money away if he wants to, but a steward can't do that. A steward has a different mindset. Even if he is in ultimate control of those resources, at the end of the day, they belong to somebody else. They're not his. Someone who is a steward has been tasked with using those resources wisely. Someone who is a steward has to give an account one day to the person who those resources actually belong to. That is the situation that we are in with everything that we know certainly as those in Christ but really is as, as humans on the planet we are not owners we are stewards of what we have stewardship is a different kind of mindset and so that's the second thing that we kind of notice not to have an inter, a, a self-interested position of ownership but an other interested position of stewardship three is it? Is it demonstrates a wrong understanding and attitude towards work in this passage. Because what is this guy's goal? Like we said, he doesn't really have a purpose, but if he does have a purpose, it's in verse 19. He says, man, my goal is that one day I'm just going to be able to take it easy, relax. It betrays a wrong understanding of our relationship to work as human beings. It's one thing to realize that age and infirmity are going to set in one day and the kind of work that we are capable of doing will change. And we need to make preparations, preparations and allowances for that. Like, that's one thing, okay? But it is another thing to think to ourselves, work is bad. Work is something that I want to escape from and free myself from. And that being able to cease from work and dedicate more time to play or whatever is the goal of life. Man, that is not the way that we were designed. We were designed to be workers. That was pre-fall, okay? We were in the garden filling the earth and subduing it even before anything had gone wrong. Work is part of who we are meant to be. When you can't work, We, we can't rightly be human. That's a strong way of saying it, but I think it's accurate. We can't be human rightly if we don't work. And yet so much of our culture is focused on the idea of saying, you know what I would love to do? Man, I would love to be, and the phrase is independently wealthy. Love to be independently wealthy. But here's the thing that we never ask ourselves. Independent of what? Independent of God? I would love to be in a situation where I didn't have to count on God's provision or blessing because I just had all this stuff to myself. Independent of community, people in a community that we were in relationship with and responsible for in some ways. If what you mean by financially independent is, man, I'm trying to be in a situation where I'm not a burden to other people, then cool. I mean, I don't want everybody to live in their parents' basement for the rest of their lives, right? That's not what I'm I'm saying. Um, But if we're trying to, free ourselves from the responsibilities that we have to God and others, then there's a problem there. If I don't want to be beholden to God or beholden to man in my finances, then we need to rethink how we're thinking about money and life and work. Okay. And so, so a wrong understanding of work is part of the problem. And then this last one, a self-indulgent kind of attitude. Again, what does he say? He says, I, and this is a, Notice the wording, man. Again, it's weird. I'm not sure what's going on here. This may be a colloquial kind of phrase. I couldn't find an answer to that. I couldn't find a commentary that just was like, yeah, this is just like a way of saying it or whatever. But notice what he says in verse 19. He says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have good, ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay? Is it weird that he says, I said to my soul these things. So the Bible consistently speaks to us about how sensuality, focusing on our sense experience of the world and worldliness are not the way that we're supposed to live our lives as Christians. That is a complicated path to tread that we don't have time to talk about completely. Why? Because we're physical beings. We live in a world um, that we experience through our senses and, and God has made this world as a, as a blessing and an enjoyment for us in any number of ways. And so we're not ascetics. We're not saying that, oh, you know what we need to do? We need to, you know, move into the desert, and dig a hole and, and make a diaper out of our beards, you know, or something like that. Like, that's not who God has called us to be. Everybody's like, is that something that you do? Yeah, that's what they did back in the day. They just grew their beard out and used it as a body covering. Maybe, I don't know. Um, That's not what we're called to, though. We're not called to deny the good that God has put in our lives, deny pleasure, deny the the things that, um, things are supposed to taste good. God made it that way. Things are supposed to feel good. God made it that way. But it's interesting that this guy uses the word soul. Soul, you have ample good laid up. Relax, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. As if this opulence that he's seeking, this sensuality that he is seeking is core to his being, his identity, his soul, right? He doesn't just say self, he says soul. So I think there's something there to say this, materialism lives in a self-indulgent way. It thinks that is normal and right and good. It's fine for me to spend all my money on myself and do big, cool, fun, nice-feeling things. That's the way the world's supposed to work. And the Bible says it isn't. It's not. The reality is, is this, we find, and it's in verse 20. Materialism actually ends up costing you everything. Because God tells this man, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. Again, interesting that he would use that word soul again. Not just your life is required of you, but your soul is required of you. Your being, your identity is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, who will they be? Whose will they be? Here's the great irony and the great judgment of God when it comes to materialism. In the end, Having all that stuff ends up costing you everything. So we can try to get technical on the passage and, and think in ways that it's not trying to point us in. Like when he says, whose will these things be after you die? Well, our answer would be, my kids. I'm leaving this to my kids. Is that, is that a problem? i not allowed to do that. That's not the point of this passage. We're not talking about... The, the idea of, of inheritance and stuff like this. The point he's trying to make is this. He's saying, you have put all of your being and life into your possessions, and when you die, whose will they be? You can't take them with you. You know the country song. You've never seen a hearse with a trailer hedge, right? You don't bring any of these things with you after you die. The story of the rich man who died when the executor of the will came and somebody said, how much did he leave? The executor said, all of it. Because you don't get to take any of it with you. All those things that you have placed your meaning and being and everything in end up going somewhere else to somebody else. The point is again, our resources on earth are meant to be used. They're meant to go towards a purpose, and their value is only in how they end up being used. The second you die, everything you have on earth becomes useless. It's valueless the second you die. All the value in it is gone, because the only value that it ever had was how you used it here. So all that to say, King Tut was wrong. Okay, it, it, it didn't work out the way he had hoped. None of that stuff came with him to the afterlife. And the scriptures use, literally use this illustration of what, when we stand on the day of judgment, what is going to happen, we are going to pass through a fire. And all of our works and all of our stuff and all the put stuff that we put value in is going to burn up in that fire. And the things that were of everlasting value will survive and we will carry them with us into the next life. But all the junk, it's going to be incinerated and, and, and go to waste. This man had placed his meaning, his value, his purpose, his good in those possessions. And as a result, he had wasted his life. Because the only way those things actually have any value is if we use them in a God-honoring way now. Because here's the deal. You can't take it with you. But there is a way that you can send it on ahead. That sounds weird, right? You can't take these things with you, but you can send them on ahead in a way, or at least the value of them. We can, look what it says in verse 21. He says, so this is the one who lays up treasures for himself, the rich man, and is not rich towards God. When we are rich towards ourselves in this life, then these things are wasted. But when we are rich towards God with our resources, then there is a way that the value of those things is, is pushed forward. That we store up treasure not for ourselves on earth where moth eats and rust destroys, but we store up treasures in heaven where those things um, remain safe. And we do that by all the things that we've already talked about. We'll close on this. By recognizing that our material possessions can't and don't define us. By using them with purpose and intentionality. You know, that's something that I think about Christianize our finances. Man, we are not as intentional with our money as we should be. Basically, we just kind of go, we just kind of spend here and there and we go out to eat and we do this. And we just kind of, we're not paying attention to it like we're not being strategic with our money the way we should be. And that includes charitable giving, that includes tithing, that's wise spending, saving. All those things would fall into that category of purpose and intentionality. We need to think in terms of being stewards of the things that God has given us, not owners. And even worse, not consumers, because that's basically what we've all become. We're just consumers of these things. We need to see work as a good thing and intend to do it until you can. It's not a bad thing. The idea of retiring, so there's the John Piper story, right, about retiring and living on the beach and collecting seashells, and that's the meaning of your life at that point. That's not what God has in mind for us, okay? If we get to retire from our vocational life, it ought to be to something, right, to help with our families more or serve in ministry more or something like that. It should not be so that we can lay back um, and and do nothing with our lives. And finally, by doing nothing out of selfish ambition, out of vain conceit, but in humility, counting others is more significant than ourselves. Thinking about the needs of others at least as much as we think about our own needs. So there's the phrase that you know we we you hear put your money where your mouth is, right? You hear people say that once you put your money where your mouth is, put your money where your heart is. And if you do that and you find that your life looks more like the materialist than the Christian, then maybe it's time to turn to Christ and his word in a new season and to say, what is it that God would actually have me to do with the money I make, the time that I have, and the energy that I expend? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for this time, God, as we we have opened your word and and talked about this picture. God, it's it's an uncomfortable topic um, oftentimes for us. Um, We don't like being, we don't like questions being asked of something that is so personal, so intimate to our lives. And yet, that is exactly what we see over and over again in your scripture, that you leave no stone unturned, um, God, that you cut to uh, the real issues of, of the things that demonstrate where our hearts lie, where what we place value in, um, God, the things that we really care about. And you show us how money and possessions are at the root of that. Father, help us to acknowledge what your word says about these, God. Help us... To assimilate these truths and principles into our own lives, to live in a way that is generous, as your Son Jesus Christ has been generous. God, your Son did not consider his his glory and and the weird way to say, but his possessions. He didn't consider those things something to grasp onto. He he poured those things out for us. He stepped down out of the glories of heaven and took on flesh. He stepped down not into a, a palace, um, God, but into to a manger. He he lived a life of of servanthood and sacrifice for his people, not considering his own um comfort and and opulence, God, but but being a a a prophet and a priest and a king who didn't have a place to lay his head at night. God that He was willing even to sacrifice His own life so that we might be saved. God, help us to hold up Christ as as not only the one who has won these things for us, God, but the one who has set an example for us uh, in in humility and service and sacrifice to the world. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song. word but Men. Good to see you tonight. I'm glad you're here. Um, one reminder, so next Sunday is 4th of July, and so there's been a couple people asked, are we doing anything different? Is anything changed? And the answer is no. We are still um, meeting at the same time. Everything will be be normal. Um, it's my impression that most of the country is probably celebrating on Saturday night, so Sunday anyway, and so I don't I don't think it'll be an issue. Um, but anyway, um, so we will be here at normal time, 5 o'clock, and so hope you can join us Um, and, and, uh, we'll be in Luke for one more week next week. And then we're going to jump into our Psalm series. James is going to preach for us in two weeks. Cody's going to preach for us the week after that. And then I'll close this up, uh, at the end of July. So anyway, good to see you. I'm glad you're here. I'm here to spend addiction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.